0: Teacher, what style is that? Don't think. Don't think. Speak, speak, speak. What, now listen? This, this is a... Bishop Bronco. Bishop Bronco. You're not to learn. Try, try, try with me. It's my own secret technique in Crips and Bloods, hear my thuds, fee five fo fum yo fool, where you from? West Side! Hey yo 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 yo, thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com, you are locked into Side Life Radio, and as always, I am your host, Adisa the Bishop, aka the Black <laughs> Dragon of the West Side, aka Zato Ichi. A.K.A. the South Bay Shogun, Shogun, Shogun. A.K.A. the Iron Hook Assassin. You know that's the realest right there, boy. A.K.A. the Black Cortez Killer, Killer. (coughs) Yo. Ain't nobody out there, Triller, than me homeboys and girls. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast dedicated to giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, health, and fitness trends. Ain't nobody, not one of y'all. Say one of y'all is that you know you know you not. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium like Adisa the Bishop. So you can be down now or you can bow down later because the West Coast OGs, we stay greater greater if it greater ip greater ip if, if, if it greater greater yeah listen if this is your first time tuning in understand this may not be the best thing about it show enough is the west thing about it show enough is the west thing about it show enough show enough show enough show enough show enough is the west thing I'll take you to church every week boy before I get all crazy, cause you can hear I'm already in that mood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you heard this show, you already know where I'm at, boy. Um, a subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, a Mixcloud, a Libsyn, uh, YouTube. You know what I'm talking about? Stop playing. Subscribe to your boy. Leave a comment. Leave a comment. You, A, you be on this phone all day, especially because of the lockdown. Oh, bloom I'm just chilling. What you doing on oh, my phone? On oh, my phone? Then get on your phone and be like, hey, this is a dope show. Hey, everybody should listen to this. Hey, this dude got some dope perspectives. Hey, has anybody ever noticed how debonair he is? I mean, you don't have to say the debonair part, but the rest of it you should say. And you know what else I need? Yo, the BCP Army. Look up at this guy. And listen to the conch shell. I'll blow the conch shell. The BCP Army is growing. The numbers are up all the way. Up. I'm waiting for Jay-Z to be on my remix. All the way up. We ain't stopping. What I'm saying is pass a show on. Maybe it's not this show. I mean, you should pass this show on. This one's straight fire. Stop playing. But, I mean, there's the RZA show. There's the Tupac show. There's the Nipsey Hussle show. Coronavirus, stop playing. If you're trying to be healthy, you really need to listen to that Coronavirus episode. Yeah, you know I mean, um, Jamie Kilstein, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we just had my boy MC Nice on talking about the evolution of Christian rap. And last week, Shamari Smith, huh? 93 till? Boy, you better listen to that episode. But for real, pass. One show on to one person. I don't need you to email all your friends, whatever. And the other thing, the other thing that is important is uh, actually really easy. You know what I'm saying? Um, Take a quick screenshot of your phone while you're listening to the show. Post it on your Instagram and tag at Bishop Chronicles. You can also follow the OG at... Real hip-hop chess. But tag Bishop Chronicles, at Bishop Chronicles. Uh, It can be your phone. It can be your your car, you know what I'm saying? On the dial, you know what I'm saying? Maybe put it in your stories, play a few seconds of of the podcast and tag. And you know we're going to shout you out. You know we're going to shout you out because all we do is give love. You ain't never going to say, hey, uh, you listen to Bishop Chronicles, bro. They was hating last week. Ain't nobody hating out here, bro. It's all love. What I thugs? Just for the record, I do zero drugs. This is all me, naturally, uncaffeinated in the morning before a meal because I intermittent fast. I wake up like this, troubling for some. And now it is time for the heartbeat props. What are heartbeat props? You wonder? I explain. Heartbeat props are when you give people props while they're living and you don't wait till they die. Um, this is something that we've been doing for a very long time on Bishop Chronicles. If you in the BCP army, you are someone that has gratitude and you recognize that human beings are like interdependent creatures who rely on one another for sustenance, inner peace, inner peace community, et cetera. And so you take a minute to call three people for five minutes and tell them how they've impacted you. Tell them that you appreciate them, why you love them. This is important, okay? Recently, um, a friend of mine, you know, went through life's ups and downs, you know what I'm saying, trying to find somebody to fall in love with. They finally found somebody to fall in love with, got engaged, moved, set up their new life, getting everything set up before the wedding, and the groom passed away. The groom passed away unexpectedly, okay? Imagine the heartbreak. I mean, that is epic heartbreak. That is like, you know, biblical level proportions, Shakespearean, you know what I'm saying? And um, the one thing that I knew, though, was that, you know, her fiance knew that she loved him immensely and he knew that she loved him, vice versa. It was all good. My point is, is that you can never take anybody or any moment for granted, especially in today's world. So, all of my heartbeat props today are for my people in St. Louis. If you know me, you know I I have a very deep love affair with the city of St. Louis, um, despite a lot of its obvious, you know, political and social and racial problems. I love that city. I love the people of that city. And um, I'm going to give some heartbeat props out to some people who I know. In fact, I'll tell you, I believe that... Oakland and St. Louis should be like sister cities. Or are they? Did somebody tell me that? I don't even know anymore. If they're not, they should be. And if they are, then we needs to do more. But real quick, uh, one of the dopest artists I ever met, one of the coolest, funniest, deepest, darkest, most gifted dudes I know, Bipolar underscore Holiday. Follow that man. Uh, Bipolar Holiday Blood You are my G I love that we've stayed in tune all these years I can't wait to get back out there You know what I'm saying And uh, do some cool stuff with you I appreciate you And I applaud you on the skill of your art And the courage with which you do it So thank you Uh, Next up My man Tef underscore Poe T-E-F underscore P-O-E Bruh, Tef Poe is one of the realest, most savage MCs um, to talk about politics and race issues, not just effectively lyrically. My boy got them drum beats. Yo, Tef is one of these guys who. The establishment is always unsure of. He's one of these guys that frustrates a lot of uh, standard issue black, quote unquote, activists. And he challenges them, you know, from a place of love for his people, you know. Um, And I have watched him over the years do a lot of amazing things with his art and with his education And it is impressive. So, salute to Tef underscore Poe. You need to follow these people when I tell you about them, bro. I'm not just saying it just to be saying it, bro. And then, at Midwest Avengers. Midwest Avengers is a dope crew from St. Louis. Been around for a long time. Doing a lot of positive uh, events. Like Slump Fest. You know what I'm saying? Really dope. Um, If y'all are not up on Paint Louis, which is... um, They got the largest graffiti wall in the world or something. Maybe it's just America. I need to go check. It's gigantic and it's beautiful. And once a year, everybody goes to paint Louis, and they just bomb this whole wall, you know, Slum Fest is popping Everything's Midwest Avengers are right in the center of that And so I wanted to salute the Midwest Avengers You know what I'm saying Because coming off the Hiro show I've really been thinking about the contributions Of the Midwest Avengers And so I had to shout y'all out And I want to thank all three of y'all For being dope people For the city of St. Louis And trying to bring out the best of St. Louis hip hop You know what I mean Respect And now it's time For what? The West Coast Word of the Week, brought to you by the streets. Stop playing, they'll kill you. The streets. West Coast Word of the Week is. Cutty. Cutty is a casual adjective that you use to substitute for sketchy, right? The cuts refers to a dangerous or crime ridden part of the town. So you touch down, you know what I'm saying? Hey, what's up, man? You know what I'm saying? Trying to get out of here, bro. You know what I'm saying? Uh, where the chicken and waffles at? And then an unknown West Sider of unknown origin says, Chicken and waffles? Fool, you ain't in Los Angeles. This the bay. Now, they used to have a chicken and waffle spot over on... Broadway and Woofty de but that there is gone, man. What you need to do, hey, and if you if it was there, you don't even want to be there because it was off in the cuts, bro. It was hella cutty, bro. I.E., you would get jacked if you went. Stay out the cuts of the O, man. What you need to do is go over to Berkeley and go to Angeline's. You know what I'm saying? They got that southern cuisine right there. You know what I'm saying? Get that crawfish etouffee. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 some of them hush puppies, boy. plat out. And it's not in the cuts. You heard? Go there. The plug for Angeline's was unpaid. Know that. So if someone say like, hey, what's up, dude? Where you stay at? Oh, man, you know, I stay off in the cuts. He ain't trying to tell you where he's at, but he's letting you know he's from a shady spot where you will get banked on. Bing, boom. You know what I'm saying? And maybe molly whopped maybe stole on. Tune into the last episodes for that clarity. And there is your What's cool Word of the Week brought to you by the streets we rob. And now, it is time for the haiku of the week. A haiku is a Japanese poem of 17 syllables, three lines. The first line is five syllables. The second line is seven and the third line is five these are japanese poems and they do not have to rhyme they don't have to rhyme most of mine do this one does not if you've heard every episode of bishop chronicles you know every episode will always rock with a haiku and they are different themes sometimes i do them about jujitsu sometimes i do them about stoic philosophy. Sometimes I do them about Islam. Sometimes I do them about chess. Like I have, I have a whole book of, um, haikus. This one, it's always based on whatever I'm, where I'm kind of at. I told you, you know what I'm saying? I'm really going hard in the paint in terms of the internal journey. I'm working out harder. I'm, I'm eating better. I'm really kind of, uh, look, man, Life is already hard. This crazy pandemic don't help nothing, okay? And so rather than crumble to a lot of this stuff, what I'm doing is I'm going inward. What does that mean? It means that I'm doing work on myself. It means that I'm reading. It means that I'm praying. It means that I'm meditating. It means that I'm exercising. It means that I'm doing yoga. And I spent a lot of time this week having breakthroughs, um from doing things I didn't want to do, like work out. It's hard to work out during this time. It's hard to work out when you don't know if you're going to live, if your loved one's going to live, what's going on with your job. It's hard to be inspired to do it even when you know you have the time. I know you feel me. And so at the beginning of the lockdown, I was doing great. Two, three weeks later, I wasn't doing so great. I was having like some really hard times, and then I forced myself to go jog again. I forced myself to run these two paths called the Mount Aurelius. I give really dynamic names to my workouts and things that I do to keep me inspired. Mount Aurelius is not called Mount Aurelius. It's a big-ass mountain that I call Mount Aurelius. Because it inspires me. Another one is called the Al-Ghazali Path. Mount Aurelius is named after Marcus Aurelius. Al-Ghazali Path is another hill that's pretty intense. Um, And it's it's named after a philosopher and theologian named Al-Ghazali. Amazing. Anyway, I come up with these crazy workouts. You know, if you listen to the T-Cash episode where we was talking about pop smoking stuff, you know, some of the initial workouts that I have have intense names. Like the first workout that I made for somebody else that, that I made for T-Cash was called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Because you were supposed to feel like you almost died. Then we had another one that we made up uh, called Cloverfield which some of you remember was like a very crazy like monster movie where a lot of destruction. And so the plan was you need to feel nearly completely destroyed physically by the time you finish this workout. So I wasn't inspired really to do a lot of this stuff. But Stoic philosophy teaches and all of the spiritual paths teach that God is with the patient. Look in the Bible, the Quran, the Torah. Look in the Buddhist scriptures. Look in the Bhagavad Gita. Look in the Upanishads. Look. And you will find that every enduring spiritual and philosophical tradition emphasizes patience. When you see all these dudes protesting, going out, Oh, we need to go outside. Because they're impatient with the scientific fact that Corona's killing people. I'm not staying in for any other reason than I know I can die. But our businesses and our bit, okay, go on outside. You know what that's called? Natural selection. Let the dumb ones die. Y'all want to run around, open up businesses, but I, go ahead. Go ahead. Because science says I'm going to die if I do that. But the government's trying to, hey, I know the government can be shady. I know that the president and other people are trying to exploit this, but I'm going to exercise my patience. But that patience is bigger than a political patience and bigger than a social patience. You know what it's about? It's about you handling your business with the time you have on this earth right now because you have it. So I started trying to work out again, man. My leg was bashed. It hurt so bad. Like I was avoiding yoga because of my leg pain and my leg pain was making it so the rest of my whole body was getting more stiff. So I'm working hard. I'm trying to like step up my game. I'm forcing myself to do really basic positions in yoga that I've always been better than and beyond. But I couldn't really do it without excruciating pain. And I was ignoring meditation. I was ignoring meditation because I was trying to avoid from going inward to myself because there's a guy, and I'm I'm not going to quote him right, um, but he was one of my favorite authors back in the day. I'm totally flipping out right now. But his whole thing was that a lot of times people don't do the work to discover What they say they want to discover because they're afraid of what they'll find. And that was true for me in this particular case. I was afraid of certain emotional truths about my life, about where I'm at right now, about some of my personal relationships about just who I am as a human being. I was trying to avoid it. So I was avoiding the meditation. I was avoiding the yoga, not just because of the physical pain, but the psychological pain, the emotional pain of accepting certain truths. And so I forced myself to do the yoga. I added more strenuous elements to my workout and I was making myself meditate. My leg hurt bad. For the first two or three days and you know what happened third or fourth day all of the pain in my leg went away not some of it all of the pain but I had to endure three or four days of real pain massaging my leg trying to keep it in position struggling to be at peace in the basic positions it's really embarrassing and that's your ego that's not a fact. That's your ego feeling embarrassed. Your knee needs that work. Your back needs that work. And I had these great breakthroughs from my meditation. I had great breakthroughs from my workouts. And I could see new definition in my body because of the consistence. And it is from that place that I bring this haiku to you. Mike, you know what, bro? I trust you bring me some elements bring me some 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 emotional strings some inspirational springs some in, <laughs> bring me some inspirational strings bro and 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 some good nature sounds and let's do this haiku Driven by my joy Seeking the journey within Unafraid of self Let the thunder rain on that cranium, boy Huh? We gonna do that one more time Driven by my joy Seeking the journey within Unafraid of self. (laughs) Westside haiku writers. (laughs) Now, chess and life strategy. It is time for that. Um, As you know, I am a big advocate of playing the game of chess, especially during this lockdown, because chess is a game that is always going to help you improve your sense of clarity, right? What do you see, right? It's going to help you improve your sense of value. What's important to you? What are you willing to risk? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up to win, right? This isn't about being a chess master. This isn't about being like anything other, than a clear thinking person who can make decisions and understand the consequences and the positive fruits of your actions. Understand that every day of your life is a chess move. And what you do today will affect the end game. What you do today will affect the end game. Let me be really clear with you. If you are someone who let's say you know a guy and this guy tells you that he works out all the time. Yeah, man, I'm taking creatine, doing this and that, blah, blah, blah. You're like, okay, yeah, bro, do you even lift, bro? Right? You know, three months from now, you're going to know if he was telling you the truth, if he was consistent. If he told you that and he did take the creatine but then he's just watching Teen Titans go. If he told you that, and he did take the creatine, but he, he, he kind of lifted, but not really focused and not really to his limit, you're going to know. That lack of consistency will show in how it ends three months from now. In the same way, students, young folks, you don't think it's a big deal if you don't do your homework. Man, the teacher kind of gets on my nerves. I don't really understand it. He's not really a good teacher. She's always yelling at me. She doesn't explain it good. It's your job to do the homework, though. Right? And so you don't really think that not doing your homework today is a big deal. And then you don't think it's a big deal next week or the week after that. And then you get a C minus. Then you get an F. Then you don't pass the final properly. Then you don't get out of Algebra 1, which means you don't graduate. You see how that's connected? Do you see how this is connected? This is your real life. I am trying to help you understand that the decisions that you make today will have an impact on tomorrow. So if you're lifting weights, you're going to be stronger. If you're reading and studying, you're going to be smarter. And that's life for real i don't know bro people talk about chess is like life but i don't really see it i don't really understand it you're living it you've lived it you will continue to live it until the game is over and the game is over when you die and we're all gonna die we're not special in that way we are not special we all die And so you need to live and move the way you want to live and move. And if you're living and moving for anybody other than you and your joy and cultivating the best of who you are and might be, you're blowing it. So get on the chessboard. The point is, I want to talk to you about when you bring the queen out. The queen is the most important piece on the board. The queen is a piece that, didn't always exist. It was originally the king and his general, his vizier. And it wasn't until the Moors brought the game of chess into Spain that the Christians and Jews played it. And one of the things that the Christians added to the game was the queen. I've talked about this on previous shows. There's a book called Birth of the Chess Queen by Marilyn Yalom, for those of you that are serious about learning more. You can also read The Immortal Game by David Shank to learn more. I'm not a hoarder of wisdom. I don't keep people from finding sources. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, that's secret. I'm not like that, Blunt. This ain't the Zulu Nation. Um, What I'm telling you is that you bring the queen out. The queen is your big gun. She's worth nine points. She's the most versatile. She's the most dynamic. She is the closer. She is the one that ends things. She's the one that defends fiercely. You don't bring her out until the bulk of the other work has done, right? You have your opening. That's how you start the game. You have your middle game. You have the end game, right? How you finish. You should always start a chess game the way that uh, Josh Waitskin. Wrote one of my favorite books on chess ever called Attacking Chess. Josh Waitskin, also a jujitsu player, West Side. He's not from the West Side. I just threw a dub. Um, you attack. You do the work. You come through. You bring your queen out when it's time to finish. You end strong. Anytime you work out, you should seek to work out stronger than you started the workout not all sloppy and, you know what I'm saying, Untechnical and whatever, it may come off that way because you're tired. But you want to bring so much focus to the end. You want to bring so much power. You want to be undeniably strong when you end the game. But that's only after you've done the other work. If you try to bring your queen out super early, she gets trapped and she dies. There's people that do queen raids. That's all they do. They're not even highly skilled people. They'll bring their queen out, slam the queen into a bunch of pieces, punch a a, a bunch of holes into the uh, uh, opponent's uh, structure, and they can win some games like that. But that ain't chess. That ain't forethought. That ain't sacrifice. That ain't planning. You bring your gun out, big gun, after you've done the other tactical work. What's the difference between strategy and tactics? Your strategy is your big overarching plan and your tactics are the steps that you take to get there. Okay? Remember what I said. Apply that to your life. Chess and life are connected. HHCF. Follow at Real Hip Hop Chess for more or you can get the book Bobby Bruce in the Bronx on Amazon or Kindle right now. Right, Kindle or paperback. Come on, man. This is doable. Buy this book for yourself. Buy it for someone you love. Let's go. All right, y'all. Now, I told you I'm reading a book a week. I'm on my path, right? Finishing Andy Cernovitz's book, Word of Mouth Marketing. Fantastic. I was going to read The Purple Cow, but I decided to... um, Rock with this book. It's a great book. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about creating your own business, I think Word of Mouth Marketing is a great book for you. Basically, what he's telling you is that you know you have to be someone who is uh, consistent with what you deliver, and that if you are, that people will support your brand, support you know what you do, and tell other people to rock with you. And that sounds easy, but it's not. How do you build integrity? How do you know that what you're delivering is what the people need? How do you know that it's the most efficient way? Things like that, right? You know, so this is bigger than just the idea of gossip. It's about helping you figure out who is interested or who do you want interested? How do you connect with them? And how do you help them see the value of what you do So much that they tell other people. One of my favorite quotes from this book is this right here. The big idea is this. Success comes from not what you advertise, but from what you deliver. That's a huge part of the game, right? People, especially in the Valley, and you know, my background is in Uh, marketing and branding and stuff like that. And I can tell you, I've been at companies and I've had clients who were like, yo, so I got the sickest technology that does da-da-da-da. And I'm like, okay, I can tell them that, meaning I can tell the world. But if it doesn't, it's going to be a problem for you ultimately. And I don't want to look stupid. So does it do what you say it does? Or people say that these kinds of problems exist and da-da-da-da, Word of mouth marketing is very real. And it is a science. It is not just gossip. It is not just people going, hey, check this out. It's bigger. It's an integrity that your product and the quality of what you do brings to the individual. It's a great book. It is my hope that you will join me in reading a book of week because it's about not being on the phone so much. It's about staying connected to our own brain. It's about bringing new wisdom To our mind in the middle of this pandemic and lockdown so that when we come out and when the world is safer, assuming that happens, and when the world is better off and we're ready to step into the world as creators of a new economy, of a new music industry, of a new political and social system, of new norms, that we have information that we have for ourselves To help ourselves, the people we love, and the society at large. That's why I'm reading a book a week. I hope you do it too. I know it might sound overwhelming, but it's not. And I appreciate those of you that are doing it with me, sincerely. And now I'm going to share a story you ain't never heard before in hip-hop. Because that's what I do. I bring you stuff nobody else can bring. That's what I'm talking about. I told you back in the day, uh, me, DJ Vlad, and Kyle Canfield, also known as DJ Cool Kyle, were working on a book that never materialized called Chicken Soup for the Hip Hop Soul, which was to be put out by the Chicken Soup for the Hip Hop Soul people. And after signing the deal and putting a bunch of stuff together, the deal got murked. And I just stumbled across some of the stories in what was going to be that book. I just found a story by LL Cool J about how he got started in hip-hop that none of you have heard. I'm going to read it for you right now. (laughs) I love this story. Are you ready? Here we go. This story is called The Dirt Bike by LL Cool J. All I ever wanted was a dirt bike, a motorized dirt bike. I was 11 years old, and it seemed like every cool kid in the neighborhood had one. So I wanted one too. I begged and begged, and it looked like I was making some headway. My grandfather said, I'll think about it. That was as good as, I'm getting it to me. But instead of waiting for my own, I wanted to practice anticipating getting one. My man gave me strict instructions on how to write it. Something was wrong with the throttle, and he had a shoelace tied around the throttle lever and around the handlebars so that you could pull the string and give it gas. But he told me, if you stop, it might cut off, so don't stop. So I didn't. I was riding down Jordan Avenue in St. Albans, and because I didn't want the bike to cut off, I ran right through a stop sign and got hit by a car. I flew into the air and landed on someone's front yard. I wasn't hurt too bad. I was just disgusted. I left his dirt bike right there and walked home. I was scratched up though and bleeding. I tried to hide my injuries from my grandparents, but somehow my grandfather found out about the incident. That was the end of my dirt bike dreams. But he had something better in store for me. I'd just come in one night Not long after licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself, when my grandfather called me upstairs to the attic. He was with his best friend, Mr. Jacobs, who was like an uncle to me. I said hello, and my grandfather pointed to the corner. There sat two turntables, two speakers, a mixer, and a microphone. Yo! My eyes popped out like ten feet out of my head, and my mouth fell open. I was amazed. I couldn't believe my grandfather would do that for me. He was this West Indian man who was very frugal. I knew he couldn't understand why I would want to have equipment to quote unquote scratch up records, as he would say. And he definitely couldn't justify spending $2,000 for some 11-year-old to do that. To him, it was just ridiculous. But my grandmother had convinced him And together they went to pick it out. He set it up for me in the basement in like an hour. He was such a wizard at fixing things. And that was the start of my rap career. With the equipment, I was able to experiment with sounds and tracks. I was able to create music and rhymes. I could stop dreaming and start doing. That dirt bike became a distant memory. LL Cool J. Tune in next week with another story. Yo, do not forget to go to my Spotify, look up some of the lists that I have on there. People be asking me what I listen to. Listen, I be listening to low-fi reflective beats. Look that up. lo fi reflective beats. And the other thing that I just recently started, the other thing that I just recently started was what? was hip-hop philosophy, the rap tracks that make you think. Before that, we had posse cuts. All right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got some dope lists. Marinate with them. And now I want to talk a minute about the show Hashtag Black AF. My new favorite show. First of all, it's Fair for me, and important for me to explain to you all that I don't really watch TV. So if you talk to me about television or movies, I usually don't have any idea what the hell's going on. That's just me. Around the time that my divorce started popping off, I started realizing what a waste of time television was. And I still feel that to a large degree. Um... Although, as explained, I do watch cartoons because I'm always thinking about deep, dark, political, social, religious stuff. And to unplug, I watch cartoons because in cartoons, people can get shot, ran over, hit with a bat and other stuff. uh, And nobody actually gets hurt. And I enjoy that. (laughs) Fall downstairs. That's what I like. So anyway, um, I recently started... Watching television again um, at the behest of some of my friends who were like, please get out of the Stone Age. And um, I started with hashtag Black AF, uh, with you know, which is done by the creators of Blackish, one of my favorite black television shows ever. Um Mixed-ish and all these other issues that go with it. And now they have Black AF. And I love it. I love it. I love it. But thinking about that love made me had to think about what's wrong with this show and what's wrong with black television in general and black TV shows. Specifically black TV shows that deal with Family, because that's how it normally is, right? So here's my situation. Let me talk about why I like the show. I like the show because one of the things that I started noticing about Blackish is that its gift was its curse. What was its gift? Its gift was that it could be very funny, it had very full. Figured characters, very well-developed characters, and they could still drop science, right? Um, And everybody was a great actor in that show, right? If anything, if you look at the explosion of black television shows in the last, like, 10, 15 years, the number of truly gifted black actors and actresses is just stunning, Right. And it shows you how much, how many people, how many great screenwriters, producers, um, directors that there are in America that go, like, I guarantee you right now, someone in this lockdown is sitting on a script. Someone in this lockdown is sitting on acting skills, directorial skills, documentary skills that we're never going to hear of because white supremacy prevents them from existing, that will come up later. But this thing about Blackish, like having these moments, was the reason why I watched the show. But sometimes it felt like they overdid it. Like, remember that one that was like Hamilton esque? It was like they had slaves and people were dancing. I thought that was horrible. That was one of the worst episodes. It felt like they were trying way too hard on that one and periodically that happens. It's you know, no show is perfect. They're going to have these moments. But what I kind of understood coming out of Blackish and going into Black AF is that Black AF was kind of the curb your enthusiasm to Seinfeld, which would have been Blackish. Right? This is a deeper look. This is a deeper dive um, it's going to be more funny, but it's also going to kick more science, and at times, it's going to be a little bit more dark, and Black AF is all of those things. So, you know, you've never seen the show. I don't think I'm going to do any major spoilers here, but I might. Um, the main character is this guy who... Is, is a big dude in Hollywood. He's making stuff happen. He's got a wife and I believe six kids, uh, maybe a little less. And it's about his struggles to be a kick-ass guy in Hollywood, to be a good dad, to be a present father, while he deals with his own issues, many of which, like most of us, he's not aware of. And I love this show. Now, I know a lot of people don't like the show. Uh, There's a lot of things going on around colorism. For those of you that are not clear on colorism, it is the internal kind of prejudice that certain black people have against other black people based on their skin tone, i.e. someone super light-skinned or someone super dark-skinned, okay? In this show... There are a lot of, shall we say, mid- to light-skinned, super-high-yellow people in the show. Um, the wife, the daughters, the sons. Um, the darkest person on the show is the baby who doesn't talk. Um, but, you know, uh, I think the two older daughters are are, you know on the darker side of the scale, no question about that. But a lot of people say, oh, you know, there's a lot of light-skinned isms up in here. There's a lot of light-skinned activity and celebration of the mixedness. And um, I had to think about that. And let me tell you what I think. And I need to tell you what I'm telling you from where I am. What am I? Where I'm a suburban black dude, bruh. You know what I'm saying? I know you see me running my pop. I know you see me hanging with Easy fool straight out of Compton. I know you see me running with the Jack and a bunch of other people, bro. I am from the suburbs, wholeheartedly. Never lied about it. Um, I'm going to tell you one of the myths about being black in the burbs. One of the myths about being black in the burbs is that you are less black inherently because you grew up around more white people. That's not actually true. You're actually more black and I'll tell you why because these white folks will call you a nigga all the time. You're dealing with the sophisticated system of white supremacy in a school system that will call you the problem child in the school because you knock people out when they call you a nigga they will have your parents come home from work Right. Leave work. So they got to come to school and deal with you. But I had parents that were awake. I had parents that were intelligent. I had parents that were knowledgeable, that studied the law. And so they made it very hard for me to get kicked out of school when these white folks would call me a nigga. There were five or six black families around here and we weren't a gang, but we all had to fight white folks on our own periodically for real. And where I come from, I was known in my youth to be someone who was definitely about knocking out white boys when they popped off with that N-word. Because I was bred like that. So there's this idea, oh, you know what I'm saying? You speak with a Midwest accent. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of code switching comes on early when you come from the burbs. So when I went to my families in Lakeview, when I went to my families in different parts of the city, right, I noticed they don't talk like me. And they said, oh, you talk weird. You talk weird. So I had to like learn how to speak like black folks in the hood speak or else I speak weird. But then that speech here in in the burbs is known as weird. So when you're black in the burbs, you actually have to navigate code switching early or you suffer on all sides. But don't let this Midwest accent fool you. You can still get stolen and mollywopped. What I think a lot of people who talk about the colorism in Black AF miss in looking at all of that light skinness that pops off in the show is simply this. Yes, they are light skinned. Some of them are hella like the 13 year old, the 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 <laughs> the dark hearted one. Right. She's what my aunt Sherry would call light bright, damn near white. But to white people in the suburbs, she is absolutely nothing but a nigga. Just like I was. Just like the lightest, most light-skinned person in your area in the burbs is a nigga to all of those white people around there. Systematically and socially, more often than not, that is the case. So when you see that, You might think, oh, it's just whatever. They're just light-skinned, living it rich. They're still niggas, man. Don't matter what the car looks like. Don't matter what the house is like. And white people make sure you feel that niggerness Often in what they consider their hood. But on to the show itself on some deeper levels. The show itself is funny. I like the writing. I like the character development. I like the frustration. I like seeing a dad from my generation of hip-hop, all the stuff that deals with the chain, all the stuff that deals with the sweatsuits and the fashion, right? All the stuff that it deals with, like, raising a black girl and seeing her dance and looking at her through the lens of white people and how they see black women and girls, Right? My favorite is the fatherhood episode where they talk about how black fathers don't get the same shine as black mothers or fathers, period, despite how much the reality of black fatherhood is against the stereotype. It's a great show. But in all of the debate around it, it started making me think about My journey in black television, right? Again, don't let the fantastic smooth skin and smiles fool you. I'm 50 years old. And so I started remembering when I was young, Good Times was the main show, okay? And while my father allowed me to watch Good Times, he did not allow me to watch The Jeffersons because The Jeffersons, he felt, was coonery. And I watched a few episodes of The Jeffersons when I was young, when my dad wasn't around. And even though I was young, I saw Fools was cooning on there. Even though I didn't have a sophisticated understanding of black and white society, I had endured enough racism to understand that that wasn't a good look for black men and women. What What was the problem then? So here I am, a black kid in the burbs. I'm seeing uh, Good Times. I mean, like, I, I, I got family that's in the hood, but I can't relate to that show. It's the 70s. And then there are other shows. There's What's Happening, right? There is uh, Do you remember that show? Something like... <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I know I'm getting this wrong, but it was like something... Something not without my mama or something like that. It was like this dude and his mom, you know what I'm saying? Sanford and Son, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, 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 you know, those shows were always kind of hood, ghetto-based shows written by white men, right? And that's what was so hard about watching a lot of that is it's so forced. And you have really good actors who are not able to be themselves, because they're forced into this little narrow road of, of of black comedy. So then the 80s come, right? And you get The Cosby Show. You get A Different World. You get Family Matters, right? You get Rock. Hey, remember the wife from Rock? Whew. I was checking for Rock's wife. Um... you get a lot of stuff and there are shows that I'm forgetting right now. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and these are middle to upper middle class shows. Right? And they have upper middle class kind of problems. The Cosby show is obviously like the best of its era. And I could relate to that. But what was the problem of that time? What did people say? That's not real black America. But I could relate. I could relate. The same problem happened in the 70s. That's not real black America, not good times, not the Jeffersons. Now they say, not black AF, not blackish and mixed-ish. That's not it, right? Then we're not even talking about all the Tyler Perry shows, which have myriad problems within them, because I don't know what to make of Tyler Perry. I, I I struggle with, with who he is because I say I don't like to see all these black men dressing like black women to get on TV. And that ain't got nothing to do with being transphobic, homophobic, or nothing. I don't like it that so many black men have to wear a dress to become famous on television and film. If you... Wonder about that? You should look up the Dave Chappelle discussion. I think it's with Oprah on the same subject. Or maybe he talks about it in some of his stand-up. I know he addresses it. That's always been a problem for me. Ever since Geraldine, that was a problem for me as a young boy. Remember the Geraldine doll? You don't remember, do you? I remember. Anyway, the problem that I have with Tyler Perry is that I see him do all of this stuff, which I feel is super like stereotypical and whatnot. A lot of the shows are spin-offs of a spin of a spin-off, and it all looks the same to me, but it's resonating. So I have to give it the nod. Then he takes all that money, buys a studio, and becomes the foundation for which Black Panthers made. A movie that made me cry in the first five minutes just because I saw black women looking so honored, beautiful, divine, and wise in those first few seconds that I cried because I never saw black women like that on a big screen. So I got all kinds of conflict around Tyler Perry. But ultimately, I'm grateful for him and what he's brought to Black entertainment. And then we have all of these love and hip-hop shows, which, quite frankly, I really don't like those. I don't like a lot of these shows that have black women dressed in these beautiful, elegant things, slapping each other, calling each other hoes, black men tripping out, uh, abusing them mentally, sometimes physically and emotionally. And that is being championed as what love is and what hip-hop is, and it's not love and it's not hip-hop. It's horrible. It's the nightmare of our ancestors. But it's entertainment and it makes money so it stays. Meanwhile, I'm watching people talk about Black AF like it's like the worst show ever, like it's a hijacking of, something, of wokeness, of... what I don't know. What I'm telling you is at the end of the day what I realize contemplating how much I love Black AF and I see it as like you know, as Black people have been able to grow we're able to tell more stories. So first, back when I was young hood stories and comedies like uh, Good Times. Then you get the middle class and the beginning of a upper middle class in Cosby Show, A Different World and, and, and Fresh Prince, right? And now fast forward, Black AF, high class black people comedy. And people are complaining the entire way. The entire way. So what is the problem with black AF? the same problem with Tyler Perry, the same problem with Love and Hip Hop, the same problem with the Jeffersons, the same problem with Good Times, the same problem with Everybody Hates Chris. Oh, I love that show. Um, And you know what the problem is? Look to your left and look to your right, seriously. I'm about to tell you. White supremacy is the problem with all of these shows. Understand that white supremacy, by the definition of Neely Fuller Jr., look that up. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's not just white folks like burning crosses. White supremacy is a system. My point is that ultimately, everything wrong with black television is what's wrong with how white supremacy warps how black people tell their own story. No matter what story we tell, there's always going to be a segment of black America that's not happy because it doesn't represent them. I couldn't relate to good times, but I could relate to Bill Cosby. In fact, my nickname in the late 80s, early 90s, some of my homies used to call me Hux. H-U-X. What up, Frisbee? What up? What up? What up, Ebony F? Huh? What up? They used to call me Hux. For Huxtable, because I had a mom and a dad, and I had, you know, a uh, a uh, uh, a dad who wasn't always yelling and slapping the shit out of me. I had I had a I had a mom who cooked and was nice and had a job and you know what I'm saying. Huxtable. But there were a bunch of people that couldn't relate to Bill. Now there's a bunch of people that can't relate to Black AF, and. Blackish. The point is, is that black people, black love, black families. Have been taken by the neck in a stranglehold so tight by Hollywood that we can't even tell our own stories. We can't tell enough of our stories. They're all valid. That's the pain. Is that what's happening on love and hip hop to a degree is real. But so is Cosby. Cosby. So is Good Times. So is Everybody Hates Chris. We don't have enough space to tell our story. And nobody even cares about the black family outside of comedy. The fact that all of these shows that I'm talking to you about are comedies is proof of white supremacy. Because if our families can't make white people laugh, they are ignored. If our black families can't make you chuckle, it's off. It doesn't happen. Where is the black version of the TV show Dallas? A very famous white soap opera, nighttime, whatever. Where is the black dynasty? Where is uh, uh, so many of these deep family conflicted shows Well, white folks, where are the stories of black teen love like 90210? We don't have them because no one cares. No one cares. The fact that we're hogtied to comedy is proof that American white supremacy in Hollywood doesn't care about our families, and it never has. So what that made me realize is that I love all black television, meaning even the stuff I hate, I want it out. Because at least it's out. At least it's out. When I see good black mothers on television, I don't care whether she's light or dark. I don't care whether she is uh, 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 an attorney or an ex-convict like Taraji P. Henson on Empire. I don't care. I want to see a black mother. I don't care if the kids are light or dark. I don't care if they're gay, straight, somewhere in between. I don't care. I want to see more black families. There's nothing wrong with black AF. There's nothing wrong with whatever show you like. The problem in all of black television is white supremacy. This is Bishop Chronicles. This is Side Life Radio. This is FarsideTV.com. This is West Coast Perspectives on hip-hop, health, and fitness. I'm your host, Adisa De Bishop. I will see you next week. Oh, wait. Before I end, I have to give you the health tip. What is the health tip? Let me tell you what the health tip is. People are talking about what's going on in the hospitals. People are talking about Corona. People are talking about all this stuff. Let me just help you out. I don't know what your health insurance situation is like. I don't have any. But let me tell you what the reality is. Something I figured out years ago from a fantastic black woman named Mrs. Lightfoot. Isn't that a beautiful name? Miss Lightfoot. I love Miss Lightfoot. I wish you could see Miss Lightfoot. I'm going to give her some heartbeat props. Thank you, and God bless you, Miss Lightfoot, for being a beautiful, fantastic lady with a great smile, okay? And thank you for teaching me about education and all of the problems inside the American school system for black boys and girls and kids in general. In any case, Ms. Lightfoot gave me a book that changed my life, and it was called Back to Eden, by Joseph Kloss, with a K, K-L-O-S-S. Get this book, Back to Eden, okay? It's a book about food, but it's not just a book about food. It's about how different foods, the properties in them, the ailments that they fix. So I was able to create, I did this for, for my ex-wife, um, diets based on what they need to eat. And this helped me create diets for myself, diets for my children. I figured out how to cure my son's eczema with Back to Eden. I figured out uh, how to enrich uh, our family's iron intake with vegetables because... What Dr. Klaus shows, I don't even think he's a doctor, he was a farmer, uh, is that if you take iron pills, your body doesn't always absorb the iron. But when you take it through food, it always does, right? So for women that are iron deficient, what foods are going to help them have more iron? That's what I did, right? There's another book that I got from Dr. Peter Goldman called The Rays of the Dawn by Dr. Thurman Fleet, now, the difference between doc, Dr. Fleet's book and Dr., or, or Joseph Kloss's book is that Kloss's book is more like a dictionary. You're going to go through it and see, oh, asparagus. Oh, that'll help do this. Then you'll see like affliction-based diet. You need an affliction-based diet. What are you lacking? This book will help you figure it out. The Rays of the Dawn is different. It's about fundamental principles around health. I suggest you read that first so that you can understand the body what makes it thrive and stuff like that what is my point why am i telling you about these books because look at the system around you the health system's broken you looking for a doctor look in the mirror you the doctor you looking for a healthcare practitioner check back in the mirror that's you playa Ain't no hospital. Ain't no healthcare. Bottom line is, unless you need something immediately cut out of you or you're hemorrhaging or something, you the doctor. This is the new world. Don't talk to me about what you ain't in the mood for. You better figure out your health yourself. Figure out your health yourself. You are the doctor. Your house is the hospital. That's the health tip. Bishop Chronicles. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Pass it on. West Coast. Forever. Teacher, what's that? is that? Whole thing. thank you. Oh, thank you. you. are you. Oh, thank you. Right, you. Right, right, right with me it's my own secret technique